The asset manager BlackRock is a massive firm. It's a spider. That's CFT's U.S. financial editor, Brooke Masters. It does tons of public equities, tons of public debt. It has 20,000 employees. It owns sometimes 8% of every American company, or roughly, you know, somewhere around that. It is gigantic. BlackRock has $10 trillion in assets under management. Now, the company's origins are in the traditional asset management space. The biggest part of their business is what is known as index funds. And so if if you want to invest in something that tracks the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100, you can buy a BlackRock fund that does that. And they have lots and lots of them. If you want municipal bonds from Vermont, you could probably do a BlackRock fund for that. And that part of their business has been really successful. But more recently, BlackRock's also been trying with only limited success to expand into what are known as alternative assets. That's things like private credit, private equity, hedge funds, and infrastructure. These are the investments that make a lot of money. These are the investments that create the future billionaires of the world. So for years, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink has been on the hunt for the right deal to push BlackRock deeper into that private capital arena. And finally, earlier this month, Fink did just that. On January 12th, BlackRock revealed that it would be acquiring an investor in infrastructure, aptly named Global Infrastructure Partners, for about $12.5 billion. It's a deal that Fink has called transformational, and it's the firm's biggest deal in 15 years. BlackRock announced that what it would do is merge its existing $50 billion infrastructure business into GIP's $100 billion infrastructure business, which together makes them the second biggest private infrastructure business in the world. But beyond what this means for BlackRock, the FT's U.S. private capital correspondent Antoine Guerra tells me that this deal has wide-ranging effects for the whole private capital sector in 2024. When the world's largest asset manager buys one of the largest private capital players, it's going to make basically the heads of all the different firms on Wall Street rethink their strategy or take a second look. And so it's really a wake-up call. It sort of sets the tone for a year where you're going to see a lot of surprises on who partners with who and how different corners of Wall Street start getting tied closer together. I'm Michaela Chindera from the Financial Times. When BlackRock makes a deal, everyone on Wall Street pays attention. Today on Behind the Money, we're going inside the asset manager's recent acquisition of global infrastructure partners. And we're looking at what it means for the private capital industry this year. Hi, Antoine, Brooke. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So to kick things off... Why did Larry Fink want this firm, Global Infrastructure Partners, which we can call GIP going forward? Um, why did he want this for BlackRock? So basically, Larry Fink's been looking for something to buy in alternative assets, private equity, infrastructure, private credit, because he wanted to boost BlackRock's uh, offerings in those areas. And he had lots and lots of lunches and dinners with lots and lots of founders of various hedge funds and various private equity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, what else were they considering? 
the BlackRock board considered, for example, whether they ought to talk to Carlyle, which is one of the very large private equity firms that has had some issues with succession and finding people to run it after its founders were starting to get old. They didn't ever actually go that far in that, but they considered it. They also held some very early talks with another big private equity firm called Warburg Pincus, and that fell apart almost immediately because Warburg Pincus was like, we don't want to be bought by somebody. We'd, you know, we'd be happy to have a minority investor, but BlackRock didn't want that. Antoine, now tell me a bit more about Adebayo Ogunlesi, the founder of GIP. Now, he's someone that you followed on your beat for years, but I don't think most people will have heard about him yet. Well, Ogun Lacey has really charted maybe one of the most interesting careers in finance. So he was born in Nigeria. His father was really one of the first professors of medicine in Nigeria. And he was educated in Nigeria, then matriculated to Oxford, where he uh, was a star student, and then went to the U.S. to study at Harvard and got a, a joint JD MBA at Harvard. Right. And he didn't dive directly into finance from there. I I read in one of your recent articles that he actually clerked for the U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. But eventually he does end up pursuing finance. And in the 1980s, he ends up working at the same investment bank as Larry Fink. Um, It's called First Boston. And uh, they work there for a while, but then they go their separate ways. And in short, Fink goes on to found BlackRock and Ogun Lacey later starts GIP. So um, tell me a bit more about GIP. What does it do exactly? Yeah, GIP manages infrastructure assets. So that means airports, pipelines, things like toll roads. And this is a sector in the private capital industry, which are sort of private investment firms that raise money from sovereign wealth funds and pensions. It's a sector that has grown enormously over the past 20 years. And GIP is really one of the leading, if not the leading firm in that space. Mm -hmm. And why is that? What about its business model makes it such a growing, appealing space? When you buy, let's say, a pipeline, you have a really long visibility into like your customers. You may have long-term supply arrangements with certain customers, or in the case of an airport, you can kind of pretty accurately predict how many people are going to go through that airport in a given year. So it's considered much safer because there's a tremendously greater predictability on kind of the annual earnings. And so that can be really different than private equity where you own a business where revenues could fall 20% and you could you lose the investment or you could double revenues and make 10 times your money. So as we mentioned, Fink spends some time, you know, roughly a couple of years looking around for the right deal for BlackRock. And ultimately, he looks to his old colleague, Ogan Lacey. Um, Brooke, do you know much about Fink and Ogan Lacey's relationship after they left First Boston? They sort of were in each other's orbit as New York financiers for decades. And they ran across each other more and more once Ogan Lacey became the founder of GIP because GIP has funds and it needs investors. BlackRock has investors and it needs places to put money. So they would put money into GIP funds. And at the same time, they also would sometimes compete against each other to buy projects because a BlackRock infrastructure fund would try to buy the same assets that GIP would try to buy. And so they were constantly running into each other. Now, back in October of last year, Fink and Ogan Lacey meet for dinner in Manhattan. And essentially, this potential deal is what's on the menu. 
Um, so who's convincing who in this situation? So Larry Fink's challenge was to convince his old friend that his firm would be able to continue to be profitable and continue to maintain its culture, but benefit from being part of a bigger platform. Ogan Lacey had spun out and created his own business. He'd gone from zero to $100 billion in assets. And he's not obviously dying to have somebody else be his boss. And also his firm is very focused. I mean, it's a small firm. It's 400 people. And it has a culture, and it's very successful, and it does one thing very well. BlackRock has $10 trillion in assets. Mm, yeah. So then next, the usual steps in a deal start to fall into place. On Wall Street, every deal has code names. It's used to protect the secrecy of the deal. Sometimes they work off Shakespeare, so Romeo and Juliet, or things like that. In the case of BlackRock, they came up with Apple for GIP. GIP reciprocated with Banana for BlackRock. So BlackRock was Banana and GIP was Apple. And finally, just a few months later, the Banana announces that it's going to buy the Apple. We do have some breaking news, and it's breaking literally right now. BlackRock uh, making the biggest changes to the firm in more than a decade. It's acquiring global infrastructure partners in a cash and stock deal uh, valued at about $12.5 billion. And with that, Fink gets that transformational deal that he's been hunting for. Coming up, what this means for BlackRock, for GIP, and why my colleague Antoine thinks that this sets a new tone for Wall Street in 2024. From the special investigations team at the Financial Times, this is The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. The Retreat. I went into what I would consider a psychotic break. It was like being in a torture chamber for my mind for six months. The Retreat. The retreat. The final goal is to purify the mind. The Retreat is the first series from Untold, a new Financial Times investigative podcast, coming this January. So now I want to talk about what BlackRock's GIP acquisition means for each firm. Uh, Brooke, let's start with GIP. What's it mean for them? Basically, what's going to happen to Ogan Lacey is he's going to join BlackRock and he will be running the infrastructure, combined BlackRock GIP infrastructure division. And he will sit on the board because he's now becoming one of the big shareholders. And so he he joked about this because he, for the first time in, in 18 years, he's going to have a boss. But when he joked about that, Larry Fink replied, well, wait, you're going to be sitting on the board of BlackRock, which means you're going to be my boss. And Ogan Lacey said to us, oh, we have mutually assured destruction. Mm -hmm. And what about for BlackRock? Larry Fink has called it a transformational deal for their um, ambitions in what are known as alternative assets, which is private credit, private equity, infrastructure, that sort of stuff. BlackRock is the world's biggest money manager. It is already a gorilla. But in the area of alternatives, which carry higher fees, it has never quite punched its weight. This deal, I think, gives them the potential, certainly in the infrastructure part, to become the big dominant player they are in other kinds of things like index funds. It also, I think they are hopeful that having somebody like Ogan Lacey, who is a clearly talented entrepreneur who built an alternatives business, that he will be able to take that talent and build a broader alternatives business for BlackRock that really is as big as they would like. Now, there's another part of this too, right? 
Here's a clip from Larry Fink speaking on the firm's earnings call after the deal was announced earlier this month. Growing public deficits, a modernizing digital world, advancing energy independence, and the energy transition are driving the mobilization of private capital to fund critical infrastructure. Infrastructure investment is a fast-growing market. In a higher-rate environment, the ability to drive operational enhancements will be critical to investment performance. So what's Larry Fink talking about here? What does he mean when he's referring to governments facing deficits? I mean, what does that have to do with BlackRock? Basically, what he's saying is that because of the energy transition and digitalization and just growth, governments are going to need to build a lot of infrastructure, roads, energy networks, you know, solar power, all of that stuff. And they don't have lots of tax revenue to do it. So the way they're going to do it is convince the private sector to build it in exchange for some of the profits. And that makes this a huge and growing area. Because of all this interest, the consultants at McKinsey predict that investment in infrastructure funds is going to more than double from $1 trillion today to $2.5 trillion in 2027. So, Antoine, you've said that this deal is big not only for BlackRock, but also for the rest of Wall Street. What does this deal mean for them, or what does it tell us? It's really a wake-up call to a whole host of firms whether they want to stay, you know, independent and private, whether they want to go public, whether they need to create deeper relationships with the Black Rocks of the world or the Goldman Sachs of the world. Hmm. What do you mean by that? In many ways, the private capital industry is coming out of the tail end of kind of what's been considered a golden age. Interest rates were low. Investors needed to put their money into unlisted assets to earn the returns they wanted that they couldn't get from public markets. And that all kind of changed when interest rates went up so sharply in 2022. And it meant that the money pouring into the private markets wasn't so abundant anymore. And so it's really forced people to try to find deeper relationships with other institutions and realize that the next dollars coming into their firms are going to be harder and they may need more resources. And it might not be such a great time to go at it alone. There's also an an extra driving force, which is that the big private capital firms have mostly gotten their money from institutional investors. Everyone thinks that the next round of investors are going to be sort of rich individuals. And generally, the traditional asset managers and the wealth management firms are the ones that have those clients. And so the alternative asset managers need to find a way to access those clients. Mm -hmm. So we're already seeing some consolidation starting up. Um, One example being the private equity firm General Atlantic, um, which is known for its tech investments. They recently bought an infrastructure manager, too. So what else are you expecting to see in the future? I think the world of private equity and private infrastructure and private credit, this used to be a world that was like exclusively to the largest investors in the world and maybe the ultra rich. And I think this is also evidence of what's coming in the next few years and decades, which is unlisted investments moving more and more to the mainstream of finance. So now you have a firm that was really started by just a handful of people, very under the radar and grew into a a giant. And now it's merging with a massive asset manager. And so we'll probably see 
all kinds of private investment funds start coming our way in the next decades as people push these further into the mass. Got it. Because I guess what you're saying is like theoretically one day my 401k, my retirement plan could then be invested in. That, that's what all these CEOs of private asset firms want. You know, they eventually want to see these products as part of retirement plans. Brooke, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Antoine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Behind the Money is hosted by me, Mikaela Tendera. Safia Ethmed is our producer. Tover Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.